the human-centric podcast the podcast all about the talents of today and tomorrow presented by deutsche telekom Welcome to the Human Centric Podcast. Today I have a very special feeling and I can describe it as I'm in a kindergarten and we are expecting a Santa to come and the Santa will bring the presents. If you remember that excitement, that's exactly how I feel today because the key discussion will be around data, data mindset, data literacy, data culture, and data-driven leadership. And working in HR, I realized what tremendous impact this trend has. And I have two amazing guests for you listeners. The guests connecting here from Bonn and from Oslo in Norway. We have Jeva Martin Kneite, who is our VP Analytics NAI at Talina Group. And we have Omer Ahmed Khan, who is also VP Data Analytics and AI in Deutsche Telekom. Welcome. Hi, guys. Hi. Yeva, Omer, tell us a bit about yourself. How did you come to the VP Analytics and AI? You have almost similar positions in two different companies, huh? Why don't you let AOS start and then I can go? Thanks a lot. Yeah, that's actually a question I was contemplating a little bit this morning. I mean, how did I come to this place? And, you know, I started really back to kind of my childhood. I said, like, what I was interested most in my life was uncertainty. I actually can thrive in uncertainty. This is something I love. This is where my passion is. And I always was interested in something I didn't know. So what I didn't know before I came to Telenor, which was six years ago, I didn't know much about technology. Actually, I have a background in strategy and organizational theory, so I'm an org person. But what I always had passion about is technology. So I said, okay, I need to learn about this stuff. And when I came to Telenor, I pretty fast understood that technology in the future for telcos is about data. So I came to research doing my org stuff, and then pretty fast, after a couple of months, maybe a year, I got an opportunity to learn more about data and AI. And while well, it just happened to be that in Intelinor, a lot of this AI stuff sort of started in research and R&D part, and I was sort of part of the journey to build capabilities in Telenor to set up collaborations with research. And currently what I'm doing, I'm leading a team of data scientists and machine learning engineers in Telenor R&D department, where we build capabilities, solve problems, and try to show where the future is for Telenor in this space. You know, listeners, I was working in Telenor before I joined Deutsche Telekom, and we have been in the same leadership program. And I remember, Yeva, when you walked to me and you put a sticky notes on my back where you wrote soulmates. And now I really understand. I'm also thriving in uncertainty. <laughs> That's what we have in common. But tell me a bit more. You are not Norwegian, are you? I'm an example of diversity in Telenor. I'm not Norwegian. I'm not a programmer in Python. I'm actually the youngest in the management team. I am almost the only woman. I would say almost. We have also comms manager in the management team R&D. You know, my employees can be my fathers. So 
I am sort of oh. an example of wow. <laughs> this very strange situation, right? Like, who is she? And yeah, this is where I am. Let's talk about it, whether that brings benefits or We not. We will talk more about it, definitely. Omer, tell us your story. Okay, so for me, it's been actually a little bit of restlessness. So I always love a challenge. So every two or three years in my career, I've always picked up the biggest challenge which I did not know about because then I wanted to solve it. So uh, by education, I'm a chemical engineer. What am I doing in data and AI? Okay. <laughs> exactly. So the thing is, when I got started, yeah. I would try something and after three years, I would say, all right, I've done this. I'm bored. Let's do something else. And a couple of years ago, I was the head of data for a large SAP program in DHL. And then I realized that data is everything and information is what defines today and tomorrow and that's what got me in love with it and I did that and I set up a large data organization there and then with DT I realized oh we're sitting on a gold mine of data there's so much we can do and how little we have tapped of this and that excites me the fact that there is so much potential out there this untapped like this gold reserve we are sitting on where we have not done much of it that excited me and here I am and I really enjoy inspiring challenging pushing people to understand how they can do their jobs better day to day based on the information that they have at hand yeah and uh, yeah that's what I do in duty trying to push the boundaries and trying to get people to understand realize and tap the potential of this uh, cool reserve and Omer, also by the sounds of the accents you're not german are you no i'm indian you're I, indian uh, i work for deutsche telekom and i don't speak german so eva you can uh, imagine that's also an interesting paradigm but i think there was a time i would have never thought of joining deutsche telekom yeah but now i think it's become a really an international organization where diversity is really appreciated and such like and I really feel at home here so I've been here for three and a half years I should learn German for other reasons my daughter goes to a German school but I did not feel that it's something which blocks me from doing what I do every day I think the organization really has gone leaps and bounds and we are now a truly international organization in that sense and that's why it's cool yeah and I can confirm that uh, Mareva tell us a bit more what is this happening in telecommunication what is this buzz about data what do you observe today and what you do foresee tomorrow in this field so the thing is every telco company today is asking this question what is our future are we going to be just a commodity company like electricity or water because right now it's become commoditized And right now, they're all asking themselves the question, what is our future? And then they realize the asset that they're sitting on. They realize that there are a lot of data-driven models and a lot of things you can do to really diversify your portfolio and go into tomorrow. So that is why most companies are asking this question. And many of them are focusing on data as a thing. Because if you look at what we have, we have a lot of data. And if you use that in a safe and secure way, you can have a lot of business models and a lot of way you can add more personalized services to customers and many, many more things. Because there's a risk that we become commoditized. And the second thing is, if you look at it, this is my personal belief. A couple of years ago, the telcos were primed to be in the cloud market. They were kind of sleeping. And then you had uh, people like Amazon and others came and killed us in that market. So right now, we are sitting on this next big thing and people realize that they have to work on it to provide better services, customers, products. And then that will define the future rather than being just commoditized and highly regulated as just a pipe provider. Yeah, So that's where it's a transition phase for most telco companies right now to redefine themselves. What does it mean to be a telco? Hmm. I fully support that view, Amara. I see exactly the same here in Norway and Southeast Asia, where 
and in the Nordics where Talanor operates, it's exactly what you're saying. So we are on the edge of redefining who we are. It's almost like you can ask like DNA. I mean, who we are? Are we a technology company? I mean, it's a question that I think most telcos are asking. So what does it really mean? So this is also a sort of a type of dimension where we are having. So and what does it mean if we are defining ourselves as technology company? Well, we need to empower the data that we have. We sit on this big chunk of gold. And then we need to also change our skill base. I mean, let's face it. If we are to become a future technology company, we need to empower data and we need to have new people. People to reskill is important, but also having new people, those who understand software, who can build software, those who can, you know, build models, find insights in data, productify those models in uh, for solving business problems and serving our customers better. And I think the third, I don't know which one, the third or the second important aspect, I mean, suddenly telcos realize that they're not owning full value chain anymore. There are partners in all parts of our for old value chain that are disrupting us, but also that are collaborating and competing with us at the same time. So it's, it's sort of an interesting movement in the telco business. So how do we collaborate and compete with Amazon and also the other telcos, smaller or bigger ones? I think that's a very interesting transition time that we are experiencing. Hmm. Eva, you mentioned the skill set, so the new skills emerging. And given that it's a human-centric podcast, I want to double-click on that because every time I hear about the data and data science, to me, it sounds like science, like PhD, like physics, really difficult. It sounds super difficult. You make it so easy. Looking at your background, Eva, coming from organizational strategy and, you know, from your background, Tamer, can you demystify to our listeners, what kind of skills you need to have to be future-proof and to work in the area of data tomorrow? Just a couple of more words. What exactly is it? I can start by saying the rule of three. I use the rule of three, and here it is. The first one, we need to have a data engineer, a person who will actually understand or will build the data lake, but also understand the data, what type of data you need to build models and process it. Number two is a data scientist. And data scientist is not necessarily the one who has a PhD, not necessarily, but those who build models. Mm -hmm. And number three, expert, domain expert. You will never be able to build data products without understanding a problem to solve. And that's the rule number one, rule of three. This is the teams. This is the future teams that I see. Another rule that I'm using, you need to have three times more doers than managers in the teams. Mm -hmm. We have to learn that, that we need more doers, the ones who build data, the ones who process data, the ones who build models, and the ones who productify it, put it back to the production. So I think this data engineer or software engineer should be also added in as the one who take those insights into products. So, of course, I'm coming more from the kind of groundwork, the ones who do stuff, the build mm -hmm, stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I think we need more and more those people mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In, who could actually 
take our data, understand the problem, we can use technology for solving mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. move it very fast in production in these very fast iteration cycles. So I relate to what you're saying. I'll give you an example from an analogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah? It's like driving a car. Yeah. So the guy who rides a Formula One race is also driving a car. Mm-hmm. The person who's doing a rally is also driving a car. Mm-hmm. And you have driven to the office. You're also driving a car. Mm-hmm. I'm also driving a car. At 18, we'll turn to drive a car. The thing is, you don't need to learn how to become a Formula One driver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't need to learn how to become a rally car driver. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, in the data value chain, there are different people and different stages of expertise which are needed. Mm-hmm. But what is very important is all of us should know how to hold the steering and put the gear and go one step forward. If you don't have the basics, then you cannot become a normal driver or a Formula One or a rally driver for that matter. Yeah. So this is where I also I look at it. All of us need to have the basic fundamentals of understanding and realizing what kind of data we have what kind of data can we leverage? Then what you do with it, then comes the expertise level. And as Eva said, then you have different people in the organization who serve the need for the different purpose. Mm -hmm. Now, for example, Mm -hmm. you are an HR person. You don't need to become a data scientist, but you need to understand the potential of what you could get from your data. Mm -hmm. So when you talk to a data scientist, you don't talk two different languages. Mm-hmm. The data scientist understands your domain and he's an expert in doing that. So it's not about everybody having the same level of expertise Then the company becomes that. So you have to realize that we all need the basics and then you go to the level of expertise depending on your role and your organ- performance in the organization. But what is important is if all of us don't know how to drive, then there's no question of becoming a racing car driver or a Formula One driver or anything else. So that's where I look at it. So the basics have to be there. And then it's all about tools. You know, for me, a lot of software, I believe, is uh, common sense plus syntax. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You put the common sense part of it first, saying that, okay, I have access to this information. From this, I could get this. You don't need to know the how. You have people in the organization who can do the how for you. Mm -hmm. But if you understand the what, and that will make life very easy. A lot of our leaders in the company don't think of it that way. They think data science is a niche. There are a few nerds sitting in the corner who yeah, can yeah, do these small things. Small team over there. Small team yeah, over and there. Here and here is they, our data team. Yeah. Yeah. And more often than not, yeah, the data guy comes and says, I have an answer 0.2 and he's super ecstatic. And the business is like, what do you mean by 0.2? Yeah. 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 So yeah. there is this gap in terms of language, which has to be improved. And then once you have the basics, you know, you can reach out to people who can then help you with the expertise. So again, for me, the philosophy is not everybody has to get there. Like what Eva said, if you need to get data in a particular place, you have the engineers who come in, who understand. But if the domain expert does not explain to you what the data is and the value of it is, an engineer does not know what to do. Mm-hmm. And data scientist has no clue because he does not understand the context. So yeah. all levels are required in that sense. To sum it up for our listeners, so again, what Yeva was talking about, the roles in the data domain. So by data engineer, data scientists who are building models, and then the main experts would be the product owners, the people who would be driving services, be it financial services or TV services. So that would be the main experts who would have to understand the problem to solve and create value for the customer. And together, those are the key roles. And what you are saying, Omer, is that the language of data, this data literacy, it becomes more or less for everyone. Yes. So we have to understand the language of data. Yes. So if you all speak the basic fundamentals, 
and it is not a very big barrier everybody understands the fundamentals and then depending on your interest and also you can see if you want to go deeper or deeper or but there are also people in the organization who do that you know as an example so the getting everybody on one common plane is very important the biggest thing is realizing what you have what information you have at hand and what can you do with that information what could you do and once you realize that then the business starts driving the data and starts driving the analytics and ai and such like a lot of cases right now unfortunately i don't know if if you agree with me technology is trying to drive it yeah which is where i think we miss out technology is trying to drive the business it's actually the other way around because the realization of it is the business part of it you know and as long as the business don't get it it will never get the shape that we need to so we need more and more people to understand the basics and then you have the experts who can do it hmm. and then here is here comes my org design hat uh, because well usually when i start the project with a business with my data scientists and engineers mm-hmm. i ask this very simple question do you have end to end control and then they're looking at me and say what do you mean i mean the first access to data we often say we have lots of data but when we actually start digging we realize that our data is in different pockets in different places different ownerships different governance structures so it's a mess i'm not talking about talent i'm talking about our general challenge and we are in this transformation the second answer i'm getting oh yeah but there is the guy in technology who is responsible for getting the new tools on who's building the data lake and when the business and commercial are the ones who own the problems so here is a design org design problem right if you don't have end to end control for getting the data preprocessing the data building the model Mm-hmm. iterating with a problem owner putting in production in one ownership we lose a lot of time this is what googles and facebooks of the world don't have of a problem and then we're losing our time to get it up fast so our go to market our issue with data products is still high so i agree with the mayor a lot that you know this basic data literacy understanding what data we have understanding how we can solve problems current problems we have in business to serve our customers better to optimize how we operate our networks to offer new products this is a necessary step and i think i would add this org design thing that's the next step right so how can you build those data products seamlessly with fast go to market i think you hit the nail on the head data availability and access is the biggest plague for mm. every large organization who's not data centric by default so this is the biggest benefit that the googles and amazons and facebook have because they were born based on data yeah and they have already realized that if you don't structure data up front and have it available you will never be successful this takes more than 50% of time for any use case is to find the data and get access to it forget about processing it I have so many data scientists who spend 70% of their time waiting. Yeah. And it's very difficult to retain them for because for them they're like, you know, you don't give me data, what can I do? Yeah, they to make synthetic data, they play around with what you have on the internet or whatever, but having data available it's it's like trying to cook a meal and not having the ingredients yeah you know you go home and say all right i'm going to make a great meal for my family and then you see oh i have no ingredients what do i do i need to wait till somebody gets it from the store i go get it myself and that's exactly where we are right now 
So having information available to the people in a secure way, in a controlled way, which is allowed as per the law, and that is the biggest play. If you solve that, I can make a claim that we will reduce our time to market by 50% off the board. I have so much data on this, data for data, but this is exactly what every single company has. And this is the biggest transformation we need to make sure all the employees have access to the information they need to do their jobs better. Yeah. And that's what's happening today right now in our organizations. And basically, as a good corporate citizen working in HR, working with people, with organizations, so I understood, I have to understand the basics of data and speak the same language so we can connect and we can solve the problems together. Do you see any other implications on the softer part, on the human part, which is happening as a part of this transformation? What about leadership? Well, I... I my own example of it. I'm lucky in Telenor. I said to my boss, I said to my boss of the boss, I said, look, I'm lucky because I was able to hire smarter people than me. I always aim for that. I said, if you are smarter than me and I can learn from you as a leader, I will be the best. I mean, I will be rewarded. So I think the leaders of the future Mm -hmm. are the ones who trust, respect, Mm -hmm. and give freedom to people that actually understand their field. And these will be software, this will be data, this will be machine learning, modeling, I mean, you name it. So our role as leaders is to leverage that knowledge, you know, trust the knowledge of our people, people, Mm. and also play the bridge builder role. If you ask me what role I play, oh, VP of analytics, yeah, you'll find it on LinkedIn, that's not important for me. What's important, I'm a bridge builder and I'm a connector translator between the business layer and analytics layer, which is still, face it, it's still very, it's not yet there as we want it, right? No, completely. I, I totally resonate with what you're saying. Yeah. I always tell people I'm the dumbest guy in the room. You should always hire people who are smarter than you and then support them and give them an environment where they can excel. So at the end of the day, you know, if you ask our role is roadblock mm. remover. All I do day to day is understand this person has this problem and they're not able to get access to this information. Talk to people, remove the roadblock, let them go ahead. Because as leaders, let's be very honest, I cannot teach my data scientist how to do data science. He's an expert in that or she's an expert in that. They know a lot more than I do because they do it day to day. That's not what I do. But I understand the organization, the way it works. And then you have to make sure you find the clean path for them. So, I think it's also important for leaders to understand that there is an access problem. There is an information blockage problem. And as long as you address that, then you see the best coming out of these people. Uh, you can see the sparkle in their eyes when they're like, wow, we have everything we need yeah, to do what we can yeah, do. Yeah? And it's, yeah. it's amazing. I'm smiling here because it resonates with me. And also in our last episode with Jonathan Abrahamson, head of digital in Deutsche Telekom, that's exactly what he said. He said, I'm hiring smarter people than I am. And I'm leveraging on the knowledge and I'm connecting and I'm being the bridge. So that is a trend. Yeah, but say a bit more about the software competence of leaders, which becomes really important in this data-driven machine learning AI world. You mentioned networking, you mentioned connecting the dots. What other leadership qualities stand out in a data-driven company? If I could take a stab there, yeah, I think there's a lot of people somehow annotate AI and data to also pure cost-cutting or, you know, it's a little bit of uh, 
I think it's also important for us to realize and tell people it's not about what you can save, it's what more you can do. There's a poker term, you know, we say money left on the table. So it's always the case that you need to make your people understand that there's a lot more you can produce as an output based on the information and the access that you have. And then you rather inspire them to do more Mm. and become more. Because, you know, if the same number of people produce two times the revenue, there's Mm. not a question of the, you know, your EBIT increases and such like. So I think I I don't believe that there's this big negative. Yes, AI is automation and all that is happening. But there's a lot of things that people can do and they have to take out the stigma and tell Mm. them, guys, if you Mm. realize what you can do with the information that you have, then there's a lot of scope for you to grow and go ahead. And I think the mindset really matters over there. And you know this, we have this reskilling program. I hired 17 people of this reskilling into my team. And I was blown away with the result. Hmm. People who have this, you know, not know it all, but learn it all culture, it's amazing. And I've seen people from HR, from finance, and many other areas who change their job description when they are you know, 50 or 55 years old. And now they become data scientists and they're excelling it. Really, I've got superb feedback. And even my own team members who are this super experienced data scientists are like, wow, we did not expect this kind of change coming up. And that's really positive. So I think there's a lot of scope for people. It all depends on attitude. If you want to learn new things and if you're happy to learn it, because all of this is new. That's the good part. When you and I and Eva were in university, these things didn't exist. Yeah, these are all new. So everybody's learning. And yeah, so what you're saying, Omar, is ability to develop people, it's ability to inspire for the future roles to come. And what Omar is talking about is the reskilling at Deutsche Telekom, when you can apply for our AI Academy, and based on your motivation and learning agility, you are selected and you are reskilled, retrained, and you get a job in the data field right after graduation, yes. more or less, and you start working on stuff. Yes, the first batch finished by the 1st of June. So I have got 20 fresh graduates. 17 of them are in my team and I'm very happy. Exciting. Super, super results. And now we have the second batch coming out. We will have more than 100 people in this area very soon. And this is really cool. So how long does it take to reskill? Our program right now is six months off the job. So six months we have a university grade program Mm. where you really go through and then we have DFKI, one of the German authorities who actually gives you a certificate at the end of six months. That's off the job, then six mm. months on the job. You actually work and then you learn skills because there's a difference between what you learn in university and what you do. So the whole program is one year, six months off the job where you have pure learning and then six months on the job where you're actually working and then you're fully productive. As I told you, the results is very nice because we have these people who have experience in the company. Mm. They're not shy. So if you're a university guy, you come to a big company, you're afraid to ask questions. Mm. These guys come and challenge my guys saying, you know what? I learned something differently. Why are you doing it like this? And then it makes the experienced guys also question themselves, okay, hmm, all hmm. right, I need to think again. So that kind of you know, collaboration, uh, it's been really cool. I've seen hmm. the results and I'm very proud that all of the guys went and now they are part of programs and they're working on real life projects. No more theory stuff. They are delivering value to Deutsche Telekom. Yeah, wow. Yeva, Anything from your side to add on the softer part of the leadership and maybe what Talenor is doing to have the leaders you need to have for the data-driven company and to develop talents in Talenor? There is this demystification of AI ongoing, Mm. and I'm so happy about it. So suddenly, Telcos Mm -hmm. and our legacy business understood, you know what? This AI is not a, you know, 
something of a myth, mm -hmm. something that we cannot solve. Actually, let's get back to basics. Let's start building our skill base, reskilling, upskilling, hiring. Let's start really investing in our data lakes and data pipelines. Mm -hmm. Let's start prioritizing problems mm -hmm. we can solve with these new tools. You know what? I'm the happiest person on earth now because I suddenly realized that, well, all this hype about AI, general purpose AI is sort of disappearing. All of these moonshot projects mm -hmm. like self-driving cars, even Elon Musk doesn't have like a proper robo-taxi in California up and running. So, I mean, this all hype is diminishing. And what's happening now, also in Telenor, is that we are realizing that we need to get our data pipelines in place. Mm -hmm. We need to democratize mm -hmm. our access. We are running these programs with for reskilling, I mean, our own people. Mm -hmm. our, we select mm -hmm. those people for advanced machine learning journeys. We have those data science journeys for leaders that do not ask them to really have good core coding skills, but just to get that literacy up. And this is absolutely fantastic. So I think so much work to do now, maybe even different for me and Omed, mm -hmm. because now suddenly we are in the role of, you know, really upskilling people, helping telcos to build that literacy base and data. And this is a fantastic journey, I think, to go forward. When we were preparing for the interview for this podcast, Eva, you also mentioned and I found it quite interesting approach in Talenor that you are developing not just individuals and people who are eager and who are interested to do that, but you are developing teams. Yeah. Tell us a bit more about how do you do that and why teams? Correct. So we have programs where we put teams of people, a couple of guys from the business units and commercial mm. units, a couple of data scientists and engineers. We make, as I said, the rule of three small teams where we believe that the breakthroughs are happening in sharing knowledge and building products among diverse experts. So I always say that I don't think that we will move a needle if we have three, four Ferrari ride drivers in mm -hmm. Telenor, exceptionally good data scientists. Mm -hmm. Instead, we should have hundreds of people who can steer the wheel and who could understand, you know what? For my problem that I've been pondering about for 20 years, mm. suddenly I have some support in Telenor, in, in, in the Align organization. He could actually help me solving something that Omer said before. I mean, data scientists will never be able to solve a business problem without understanding it. They can crunch the data they can give you some scores. They can make you some prediction algorithms for you. But you know what? They don't know why we're we doing it, what problem we solve. So what we do in Telenor, we are realizing that, you know what? For training and building knowledge, we need more and more team expertise. Mm -hmm. so this is where I think coming to be the future. Because, you know, we're not going to work alone. We can have the best data scientists in the world but they won't solve our problem. Absolutely. I think it's, it's a very, very good point. Also, you mentioned about organizational alignment. I think more and more companies are moving data from IT functions to the business functions. Mm -hmm. The ownership mm -hmm. of data is going more and more to the commercial functions and such like because they believe that 
it is no longer an IT area. It's mm-hmm. like even digital, you notice right now, it's coming out of IT and going more into the business areas because they realize that it's a business which drives it. And I completely agree with whatever I'm saying. If you don't have enough people in the business who understand this, you might produce the best result. It goes nowhere. You know, all companies love to do POCs and the point is how much of what you do actually hits the road. And to get it to hit the road, you need the business. You need the frontline staff. You need the business to take it to the road. Otherwise, it's all theory. Very nice. It looks beautiful on a PPT, but it brings no value. Yeah. Mm. So that's why I think more and more organizations are trying to say, okay, data is driven. The whole teams are now moving into the business function rather than just being a pure IT or a you know technical service, so to speak. Mm. If you... Omer and Yeva, from the points where you currently are, would give some advice to the younger talents, so to the people, let's say in Talonor or in Deutsche Telekom, or even to the listeners outside of our companies, if they want to go into this area of data, if they want to become much more data literate, they want to become data scientists uh, tomorrow, what advice would you give those people? How to start? Because that might sound scary as well. It sounds scientific. <laughs> So how to start? What would you say? One step at a time, I would say. Yeah? One step at a time. Step. Brilliant The most answer. difficult <laughs> thing is to get, you know, I think getting off the couch is the most oh. difficult thing than anything else. Believe me, I tell people, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Yeah. So it's not that difficult. It's just a matter of time and it's a matter of attitude. Yeah. It's like doing anything in life. If you feel you can do it and you want to do it, you will do it. It is not difficult. It is not that complicated. And again, as I said, you don't need to become a Formula One driver. Yeah. You just need to know how to drive a car in the autobahn and you're good. And it takes a year. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, the thing is, in a year, we make you into a data scientist. Yeah. And if you really want to become a data scientist, that's the invest. If you go that's to university, invest. you spend yeah. four years. Yeah. And right now we are saying in a year, you can change your career. So which is still shorter than yeah. Yeah. Uh, doing that. But it is short. Yes, it is. It is. Short. And yeah. it is intense. And six months is off the job. Six months you're actually working. Hmm. So it's like you're training and then you're actually hmm. working. Anything lesser than that, you can be an analyst, you understand data, but you will not become a data scientist. Yeah. So, And I don't think everybody should aspire to become that as well. It depends on what your interest and to what extent it is. If you do want to become a data scientist, is your career shifter, then spend a year. Really hmm. give it a year and you will do it. And the point is, this is the right time in the market because everybody is reskilling hmm. and they appreciate hmm. that. Nobody has 20 years of data science experience because it didn't exist. Exactly. Yeah, so everybody's new. Just, so uh, there's a lot starting. of people around yeah. you who are doing it right yeah. now and it's great to do it. Yeah, yeah. And it's not that difficult. Get started and you will get there. Thank you, Amar. You have anything to add from your side? Oh, I was so well said. I don't know what to add. Yes, yeah, start small. You know, you don't need to be a data scientist. You will not be. I'm not going to be a data scientist ever, I don't think. But that's not my role. I think There are so many opportunities in the future of any organizations in the telco business else where getting that minimal level of literacy and data will be asset. So I think that's one start small. But I also, what I say, dream big. I think this is important to remind our people that there's interesting stuff coming out. A lot of these big legacy businesses, the telcos, electricity companies, the finance, the banks, they will transform. They will need people with at least minimum data literacy skills. And guess what? Those who are already started, just get 
the Dudacity course. Just get any other course available outside, actually for free. Hmm. Those will be more wanted. So just get started. I mean, and by the way, there's so much help in the organization. We are all in this learning curve. So I would say that don't be shy. We are all in this. And certainly there will be more and more money put in the organizations for learning data, software, and stuff like that going forward. I would recommend, you know, for people to, there's a TED Talk. It's called the 20-hour learning, yeah? 20-hour learning. Learning, yeah. So I would recommend you see that because what it says is studies done across. It takes 20 hours for somebody to be good or learn something. You will not be an expert. You know, you will not be the best data scientist on the planet. But for you to understand the basics of anything, it doesn't take more than 20 hours. And it's 20 hours, it's exactly the time you need to understand the fundamentals of it. See that TED Talk, it's very nice. It basically says that, you know, we hear this 10,000 hour rule. They, you know, if you have to become an expert, you have to spend 10,000 hours. Yes, if you want to become a Tiger Woods in golf, you need 10,000 hours. But if you spend 20 hours in playing golf, learning golf, you That's can have small. an 18 core. So yeah, yeah. the input barrier is not that high. Get started, put the 20 hours yeah. and see where you get. Yeah. You know, I haven't seen the TED Talk, Omer, but I, in our explorer journeys in DT, that's exactly what we talk about. For our listeners, we do have explorer journeys where we invite people to explore what data literacy, what data language is, data analytics. And the first step is the most difficult. It's just starting. You know, you might be scared. You might feel you have no time. You might sometimes feel ashamed as well because everybody is reskilling and learning and you are lost. Like, what's happening around me? What can I do? And picking these people up there and say, let's just start. Yeah. Start, do it small. 20 hours is enough. And then you'll see if you like it. Yes. And I guarantee you, if you actually spend the 20 hours, I've tried this myself. It has to be 20 hours. Make a simple exchange sheet. Write down how many hours you spend on it. And then in the end, if you see you have not learned enough, you can come back to me. But believe <laughs> me, I have tried it. It really works. Because we don't put in the 20 hours. We Nobody does. We're stuck in the problem. middle, huh? We're stuck in the first hour. It's the first hour. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to add one thing. You know, it's, it's about incentives. I think it's important for companies to make explicit incentives in learning. I mean, what we do in Telenor, we have this 40-hour challenge for everyone. It's put on everyone's KPIs, on top leaders and all of us. So basically, I think it worked for us. So what we're seeing now, you know, because it's hard to get from the couch, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. you need to push people to get out of the couch. And you need to push your bosses saying, you know, I'm spending my 40 hours over the year for learning. I can choose whatever I want. There are some recommendations. But I think let's put those explicit incentives on people to learn. Because this is not kind of obvious. There's a lot of stuff going on. We need to do there now. But put those incentives. Yeah. I, I do this also for my team, as what Eva said, not for the organization. But we have a 20% target for the employees that they have to do training. And it's 100% if you train. It's more than 100% if you learn and taught somebody else. So it's always in, for all my team members, they have it in their annual target saying that you need to spend, if you want it, you have to learn yourself. And if you teach more than five people, then I give you 150% of that target. And it's black and white. It's up to you. Take it. It's all yours. Yeah. And in the end, I ask the question, okay, what have you learned? And if you can show what you have done. And he said, I have learned this. I've trained five people. There you go. You get your uh, higher bonus than you were expecting. And 
we really push it. We have to really incentivize. I agree with you. It has to be incentivized. Learning, people need a little bit of a push. Uh, you know, and ultimately, but the most sad thing is people who don't learn at all get that ultimate push, which is not what we want. Yeah, so we need this small dosage of pushing, which is more critical right love now. Love it. Uh, love it. Learning culture is the key. And I love the 40-hour challenge in, in Telenor and what you are doing here, Omer. And I think it will be more and more in the future. So the learning agility, how fast you can learn and unlearn and move on, is the most profitable skill and ability a person can have. And if you put $1 into yourself, into learning and skilling, you will get higher return on investment if you put this $1 to any banks uh, in here. Time is running. I do have two more questions for you. One question came actually from our listeners and who wanted to get your uh, perspective on AI that is coming our way. And there are influencers saying that AI is not intelligence because it's compromised and biased by the programmers. So what do we need to do to make AI think more diverse? What knowledge and skills does it take to exclude the bias of AI in our decision-making? What's your take on that? I can start, Omer, you can continue. I have a very simple answer to that. Build diverse teams of data scientists and engineers. That's the first requirement. Because, you know, if you have only white male from California building products that everyone uses in the world, I mean, to check for biases, you can create so many compliance systems around and risk management systems. But at the end of the day, those are, you know, Formula One drivers in one place of the world building those products is not the way forward. So diversity, mm -hmm. number one. And I'm doing it also here in Telenor. Building teams with diverse backgrounds, diverse gender, mm -hmm. or different gender, mm -hmm. different experiences. It's not enough to have a computer science, mm -hmm. you know, PD mm -hmm. to build products. Mm -hmm. Not at all. Actually, it's really bad. So mm. you need to have biotechnology experts, mathematicians, physics uh, people, people from org science, Building that diversity mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is the way forward. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fast. It needs time. I'm always an advocate of, you know, positive change mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and long-term implementation rather than impact, rather than we can put Best so game. many rules for mm -hmm. that. But then we yeah. would stop it. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you, Eva. To add to that, I think uh, Eva said it very beautifully. The one thing I would like to add again using my analogy is that, you know, when you learn to drive a car, you can choose to drive a car in the right lane or the wrong lane and you can hit somebody and kill somebody. Mm. But you can't blame the car for it. Yeah, at the end of the day. So mm. it's very important that we educate our people on the ethical use of data and information for the right reasons. It's very, very important. It's a choice. Mm. You know, when you drive back home to this with Lana, it's your choice to go on the right side of the road or the wrong side of the road. You can choose to break the law. You can choose to, uh, I don't know, hit a deer on the way or whatever, yeah? But you chose not to mm. because you realize that what is right impact, and what yeah. is wrong. Mm. Similar thing is with data. It's like you have a new thing and with AI and such, like you have the capability of doing good or bad with it. Mm. And we need to educate and companies need to have more and more of these thinking saying that what is the right and ethical use for the best interest of the customers and the best interest of the company. And mm. the most important thing is the best interest of the customers. Because right now with information, you can really abuse it. 
Mm-hmm. And that is why the culture of human-centered, of customer-centered, of focusing on the ethical use of these things is very, very important. And I, I agree diversity is one great way of doing this because you have different mindsets and the value system mm-hmm. is different. It mm-hmm. helps you to get that in there, yeah? So that is why I think, you know, it's a power. It's a privilege that you get and you should know how to use it wisely. And mm-hmm. anything in life, you can use it for the right or you can use it for the wrong, but you make a decision. And similarly, people in companies need to understand it. Start from the top saying that, okay, what is our identity? We're going to be somebody who's ethical. We're going to use it for the right reasons, not mm. for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And when you drive that values all the way from the top, not looking at short-term goals, but more long-term goals, then people understand that let's use this in the right way and not in the wrong way. I would say it's a mindset, it's an exercise, it's how leaders show it to people. But it's also intelligence because yes. you really have to understand that. It's intelligence, it's ethical behavior from the very top. It's by design, it should be diverse. So you're designing yes. your teams to make sure that your AI is diverse. Yes, diversity, bias, and also using for good. Yeah, Technology, yeah. it's very scary right now. So, you know, again, like any other calco in the world, you have access to so much information. But you have to choose what kind of company you want to be. I think Telnor or DT have decided it's human-centric and people over profit. And we really look at making sure that what we do is in the best interest of our customers first. Yeah, and that's what drives. It's a company culture. I will not take the names of certain companies who use that in a different way. Yeah, for mm. them, it's about how do we manipulate data to get the most likes and the most ads. But that's not what we're looking for. Yeah, mm. and That's also what you look at when you work for a company. What kind of morals are there behind it? Yeah, because at the end, you have to be accountable. Exactly, exactly. Great answer, great answer. And the last question from me for now, because we are rounding off time-wise. In your amazing careers and very diverse, <laughs> coming from chemistry and, you know, IT and from organ strategy ever in your case, if you look back, uh, what was the best or worst career advice somebody gave you on your journey okay so maybe i can start i have one so the best (laughs) advice i ever got was if you want to grow in your career you should find ways to make yourself redundant the first thing you do when you get a job is find somebody else who can do your job if you're not able to build the next line of leadership you will never grow you will stay where you are. Make yourself redundant. Yes. Make yourself redundant. That is should be your goal because whenever you start something new, you need to go add value, get somebody else to do the job so that you can do something else. That might be scary. Huh? It is scary for many people, but that has been my mantra. Every time I've taken any job, I've always said, who is next? And my goal is that if I go on a month's vacation, the company should not miss me. Yeah. But then I'm confident enough that something else will come up. But I always feel that the only way to go in life is to find somebody else to do your job. So that was the best advice I got. The worst advice I got, I will also give you that one, is if you want to grow in your career, look up. Don't look down. This was by far the worst advice. I never took it. Because I realized that the only way you grow in life is if your team grows, then you grow. Yeah. It's not possible that the team is failing and you are successful. That doesn't work. It's a very simple philosophy I have. Make your team successful. Their growth is definitely linked to your growth. As the team grows, as they do better and they achieve more, you will automatically achieve more. I always tell my team saying that you guys make me look good. Yeah, you guys make me look good. So this is so the best and the, the worst. Recognition I told goes you. to the teams. Thank yeah. you, Ahmed. Thanks a lot. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, one of the best advices I was given was that, you know, if you want to grow in a career, 
make sure that you wake up at night and you're scared. Because if you don't wake at night and you're not worried, you're not having dreams too big. I mean, your dreams are too shallow. And then you won't never be able to realize those. So kind of dreaming big was was my advice. So I sleep well, but I mean, I sometimes get up at night. And if I'm not getting up at night because Mm -hmm. I'm scared and I start thinking, maybe I need to make a shift. So that was my best career advice. And the worst career advice I was given actually was quite similar to Mary, but maybe put in a different like kind of way. It's a solve politics first and then get the job done. And that was the worst. For me, get the job done first, because I truly believe if you do the work well with your team, you will solve the politics. Great advice. Great advice. You know, uh, Omer, Yeva, I have to say that my feeling in the very beginning when I told you that I'm like in kindergarten, expecting a big Santa giving me presents, actually came true. It was a really amazing conversation. Thank you so much. I'm sure our listeners will enjoy it. Yeah, and it actually was my first episode when I have two telecommunication companies, Telenor, based in Oslo, in Deutsche Telekom here from Bonn, talking honestly and openly about data, culture, leadership, and how to raise teams. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. To find out the deeper meaning of talent and its human aspects in business environments, subscribe to the Human Centric Podcast and stay tuned.